please take up your Bibles and turn with me back for our old back to our Old Testament reading and Exodus chapter 23 verses 20 to 33 Exodus 23 verses 20 to 33 now we come this morning to the conclusion uh, to the what, he, what is known as the Book of the Covenants, the uh, the text that we've been looking at since we began looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, which goes back uh, towards the end of last year, all the way through chapters 20, 21, 22, and 23 uh, of Exodus. And, and in some ways, uh, I don't know about you, but it's been good, it's been encouraging. I've, I've really found it interesting to, to, to study these chapters, but in some ways it's been hard going, I think, as well, hasn't it? You can agree with me there. If you find it a little bit hard going sometimes through this this book of the covenant, we've we've kind of taken the long way round, as it were, um, to cover as much of this as we possibly can, to see and to understand for ourselves God's good commands, His good instruction to us, and the application of His moral declarations to us. Uh, in the circumstances of the redeemed people of Israel and, and to see how those things are applied to us today. As I say, I hope, I hope, I do hope and pray that it's not been without relevance for you uh, in these last months. For God's words, of course, is eternal. Its relevance is always important to us. Uh, it has not tarnished, it has not worn out with the ages, it has not become old-fashioned, its power has not waned, it is the living word of God. But we, of course, in each generation, as we come and read these words, we have to apply those eternal, ageless principles of God's. His mighty words to our lives and our circumstances using the guidance that we find in the pages of Scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit who dwells with his people. But we, as, although we've been spending quite a lot of time looking at these, these precepts, uh, these commands of God, we mustn't forget that there is a bigger story being told here in Exodus that we don't want to lose sight of. We don't want to uh, miss the wood for the trees, as it were. And so here at the end of this book of the covenants, we find we, that we are abruptly uh, called back to look and consider that bigger picture What's going on in the, in the context of God giving this word to his people. And God proclaims here his intent, his purpose, having saved his people, having redeemed Israel from the clutches of, of Egypt and from the wickedness of slavery to bring them into a land that he has promised, that he is preparing for them, that they might call it their own. And we come to a wonderful passage of scripture in these verses this morning, which brings us abruptly back to that context. 
Uh, and we find that the Lord in his majesty, in his might and in his mercy to his people says in verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Now even people who don't believe in God, many people who don't come to church or have any particular faith like to believe in angels i guess it's it's comforting to think that there might be some mightier power uh, somebody watching out for us uh, and the idea of, of an angel a guardian angel watching over us is quite attractive it comes sort of without the without the need to think too deeply about who that might be, where, where that angel might have come from. Um, but angels are part of God's creation. They are part of scripture. They are God's messengers, his servants. These, these beautiful, majestic and powerful spiritual beings who worship him and serve him and exist for his glory and for his purposes. In Psalm 91, we read this wonderful verse, Psalm 91 and verse 11. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And we see something of that worked out for the people of Israel, prophesied for them, promised to them, in these verses, he will give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your ways. Now, this is not the first time in the book of Exodus uh, with, where we are presented with the, the idea of an angel who comes to guide and lead his people. We've seen it several times. We see it first at the burning bush. In Exodus 3 and verse 2, the, it is described as an angel from God appearing in the midst of the flames in that bush that didn't burn up. Speaking to Moses, giving him instruction for what God would have him to do in leading his people. Then we see in Exodus 14 verse 9, when the people of Israel leave Egypt... There is a, an angel who travels with them, who camps both before and behind them. Exodus 14 verse 19. He goes before and behind them to lead them and to protect them. And now here in, verse, in Exodus 23, he goes before Israel to keep them in the way and to bring them to the place which God has prepared I want to consider this morning the role of this angel in this passage and what it has to say to us today. But before we do that, I think we need to think about who this angel is. This angel, this, this messenger from God who was distinguished from God because he's sent from God. Yet at the same time is described here in this passage as having distinctly divine and uniquely divine attributes we see he is sent from god he is different he is distinguished he is other than god we see that he is sent to guide and to guard god's people to bring them to the place that he's prepared 
we read here that obedience to him is required. They are to listen to the angel as if to the voice of God. If you indeed, verse 22, obey his voice and do all that who I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. This angel, this messenger, also bears God's name. God's name is in this angel. And when we talk about God's name, we're not just talking about a label, uh, what we call God. God's name is descriptive of who he is. And it's more than that, it is who he is. His name proclaims his very person. And God's name is in this messenger. (coughs) We also see here that this angel, this messenger, will be victorious. He will have a victory. He will give victory over his enemies. And also, this is key, this is important to how we understand who this is. He has power over forgiveness. He has power over forgiveness. Verse 21, beware of him, obey his voice, do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Here is someone who has power to forgive or to condemn. He will not forgive those who turn their back on him. He will not forgive those who do not listen to him, who do not follow him. And so the message seems clear here, doesn't it? That long before his incarnation, long before he came to this world as a child, long before he was born in Bethlehem, God the Son was with his people on their way to salvation, on their way to the promised land. We are reminded in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal everlasting life. And here is the Old Testament principle of that same thing. Here is the son of God leading his people. Leading his people unto salvation. This is my son, said God at the, uh, at the baptism of Jesus when the voice thundered from heaven and everybody heard it. This is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. What about the prophet Isaiah who spoke of these things as well? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came to forgive. He came with power over forgiveness. He came and won the definitive great victory over all sin and all wickedness. That those who would listen to him, those who would follow him, can know life. And life abundance in the land, in the place that he has promised. The place that is prepared. The angel of the Lord is found throughout the Pentateuch. These first five books of the Bible. The works of Moses. And he appears at various times as a temporary 
pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. God the Son who would eventually come to live and die on earth as a man before rising in glory from the dead. He encourages and guides the people of God. He is the one who goes before, who leads, the one who goes behind to protect and to bring them to the place that he has prepared. This is just the kind of saviour that God promised to send. Jesus, the loving, caring guardian of his people, who by the presence of his Holy Spirit is always with us, even to the end of the age, just as he promised. Our guide to glory. I am the way, he said to the disciples. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is our guide to glory and we believers are called to follow him every step of the way until we reach the place that he has gone ahead to prepare for us. This glorious, wonderful love of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Can we do less than but reflect it back to him? What love do you have for this one who guides and leads you? The one who keeps you and will bring you to the end. The one who casts his shadow over you in the wilderness. Protects you from the the storms and from the, the raging heat of the sun. Keeps you in sorrows and sickness and watches over your life and brings you. He will bring you, Christian, to the end. He will not fail you. He will not leave you. How wonderful this loving saviour. How glorious he is to our sights. Here then are for you this morning from this passage three ways. Three promises of the angel of the Lord. For the Lord Jesus Christ he watches and keeps. He guides his people all the way to the end. And these covenant promises are bound up in him for those who will follow Jesus, for those who will listen to his words, for those who he keeps all the way to eternity and eternal, glorious, abundant life in him. For the first promise we see being worked out here among God's people in Israel is that he guides and he keeps his people. How often? How often do we see the the children of Israel provoke the Lord in the wilderness? How often did they fall short of what he called them to do? How often did they question his wisdom and his power and his gracious hand in their willful disobedience before him? we've, We've barely got halfway through Exodus and we've already seen that a number of times. They've barely got over the Red Sea and they're already questioning him. Looking, we've got no food, we've got no water, how will we live? Now God will provide. He will keep his people. He kept them in the way. He kept his people Israel and as he kept them, so he who redeemed Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb... Through the wilderness, so much more will he keep his new covenant people in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The precious blood of his son. How much more will he keep us through the wilderness of this world? If he kept them for 40 years, how much more will he keep you in all the days of your life? 
Israel didn't have a comfortable journey in the wilderness. It wasn't an easy life, living a nomadic life, going from place to place, pitching tents in the wilderness, looking for water, looking for land on which to graze their flocks. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. They've already faced hunger and thirst soon. In the very near future, in the next few chapters, they're going to face enemies. People are going to come against them with swords and spears and bows. And their faith and their trust in the one who delivered them from Egypt will be put to the test. It will be tried. But here in the text of the covenant, in this book of the covenant, the basis of Israel's relationship with the Lord God of heaven and earth, we find this great promise for those who will listen, for those who will hear the voice of the angel of God and do what he says, for those who will come to him in repentance and faith, I will be an enemy to your enemies. You know, that's covenant language, isn't it? That's the language of a treaty between two powers. It's the kind of thing that gets drawn up between two great nations. I I will be an enemy to your enemies. If somebody comes and attacks you, then we will defend you. This is what God says to his people. You see, the thing is, in this covenant, there is only one power, really. There is only one power. Israel has no power. They have no land. They have no nation. They are a people without an inheritance until God comes and gives them one. Until God comes and keeps them and guides them. Till he comes and protects them and says to them, I will be an enemy to your enemies. How wonderful, how lovely, how glorious, how powerful are God's promises. If this people would serve their gods, The one who had already shown them such love and such grace. Who had rescued them from Egypt. Rescued them from slavery. Had promised them eternity. Promised them a new home. A land. If they would listen to this gracious loving God. If they would follow him. If they would reject the the gods of the nations. Which were no true gods at all. And follow the only one true God. Then he would be with them. If they would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things would be added to them, as the scriptures tell us. And today the same is true of man now. For we have nothing, nothing to offer, nothing to bring into this covenant, nothing to bring to Almighty God that he might look favourably on us. We have no power No strength, no righteousness. We have made, in fact, we have made ourselves to be his enemies through our disobedience, through our sin. But Jesus Christ is the author of salvation to those who who will obey him, to those who will listen to him, to those who hear and follow. He is the way of salvation, the way, the truth and the life. And he calls on you today to repent of your sins and believe in him. And in him to receive salvation. 
to follow him all the way to the place that he has prepared for you. And here then is our second promise. He guides and keeps his people in the way. You know, he's going to watch over you. He's going to keep you safe. He's going to bring you to this place. And that is the second promise. He will bring them to the promised place. He's going to look after you in the way. He'll be your shelter and your refuge in the wilderness of this world. And he will bring you, this is that promise, he will bring you to that promised place. Because when God brought his people out of Egypt, he did not leave them in the wilderness. He did not bring them out of slavery to wander in the wilderness as nomads forever. Living in tents, without a home, without a land. We've seen that in the, in the way that God has expressed his desire for them to live. In the, in the words of this book of the covenant, in the words of God's law. They assume, they presume that there is a land for them to live upon. A land in which they might live and become established. He promised them a place for their own. In which the application of his law, his words, would become established. The land of Canaan was promised to Abraham and his descendants generations ago. And whatever goes on between where they are here at Sinai... And there, in Canaan, God promises to bring them to that place. The place that he has prepared. Here are the words of Jesus to his disciples. When they wondered what was going on and where he was going. He was going to leave them. He was going to die. uh, And then he was going to rise in glory and return to be with his father. And they were troubled. They were worried that he was going. What will we do? How will we get where we're supposed to be? How will we get to where you are going? They asked him. And he replies in John 14 like this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And then he goes on to tell us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our reading from the book of Revelation gives us this incredible, this wonderful picture of the place which is prepared for those who trust and obey the Lord. The bride of Christ coming down from heaven, the city, the new Jerusalem. The new heavens, the new earth. And most wonderful, most precious, most glorious of all, Emmanuel God himself coming to dwell with his people. That's what that word means. Emmanuel, God with us. And it is true today because he's with us with his Holy Spirit. But in eternity, in glory, in the new heavens and the new earth, it will be true in a way that is so much more, so much more glorious, so much more wonderful, so much more lovely. And we will rejoice in eternity with him when he comes to dwell with his people 
This is where he is taking us. This is where he is taking you if you will follow him today. If you will listen to his voice. If you will hear him and obey. If you come in repentance and faith he is just and righteous to forgive you your sins and bring you to the place that he has prepared If we will follow him, if we will bow the knee to God our maker, the only one who is truly God. If you will make him yours today, then you too can look forward in hope and expectation to this glory and wonder. Not grounded in your own righteousness, not founded upon your own works that are good or or whatever they are. No, because it's founded upon the trustworthy promises of God which are based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ which is done and finished. In his name we look in hope to these things. He will bring us there. Surely he will bring us to that place if we will follow him. And here is that third promise. He will give victory over the enemies. He'll watch and he'll keep you He will bring you to the place he has promised, to the place prepared, and he will give victory over the enemies. Now this is a promise uh, which brings fear and judgment and destruction for some. But hope and justification and life for others. This is a promise which God made which brought fear and destruction upon the people of Canaan. It was their undoing. But it was the hope of God's people. And the same is true for the gospel of Jesus Christ today. It is good news that the Lord Jesus Christ came and died and rose again to save us from our sins, to take us to that place of glory. But it is terrible news for those who will not follow him because the alternative to that glory is the fire and brimstone, the pit which Revelation 21 speaks of. The angel in Exodus 23, we are told, will not pardon the transgressions of those who provoke him by failing to listen to his voice. Those who rebel against the one who God sent to keep them and to bring them into the promised land. Because if they rebel against the angel, if they rebel against his word, they are rebelling against the word of God himself. They are making themselves to be his enemy. And that's where we all once were, isn't it? All of us who are believers were once in that place, not listening, not interested. No desire to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. No desire to hear the word of God or to obey it. On our way to the pit. And yet in the grace of God he showed us the truth. He revealed to us our need of a saviour. He awakened us to our sin drew us to himself and called us to obey his voice. Those who rebel against his voice, he would not bring to the promised land because they would be the enemies of him and of his people. 
And the judgment of God was about to fall on those people. The judgment of God was about to fall on the people of Canaan. A people who for 400 years since the days of Abraham had been warned repeatedly against their wickedness and their godlessness. The abominations of their child sacrifices and witchcraft. Their occult practices, their idol worship, their sodomy and incest and bestiality. All of these things are reported for us in the scriptures. And they reveal their guilt. And they are this, this wickedness, this godlessness is set against what God expects of Israel. He expects them to be different. He calls them not to live according to the practices of the people of the land. Their wickedness and their abomination sets the stage for God's judgment of their godless and wicked society. A judgment which forms part of God's promise here. Because he will give victory over those enemies. The victory is his. The battle, the war is won. It is God's. And none, not one, will stand before him. This destruction of the people of Canaan, this was no human genocide. This was not man against man. This was God bringing judgment against man. This was divine judgment. This was a sure and definitive victory. But one that interestingly has limits and bounds. The, 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 the land is for Israel, isn't it? It's for them to come into. It's for them to take with the strength that God gives them. And the angel will go forward before them. And isn't it interesting? The one who went before them, the one who led them in that conquest was Joshua. Joshua. Do you know that Joshua is the Hebrew version, the Hebrew word for the name Jesus Yeshua it's the same name and he went before them Joshua was the one raised up to lead the people of God in that conquest into, into that sure and definite victory which had limits and bounds you see it, it, they were told to go in and take the land and they're given the bounds of that land here in this text and elsewhere as well they're explained this is your land this is for you perhaps this points then to a greater victory to come a time when God's judgments upon the wickedness of this world, upon the sinfulness of mankind, will not be limited to a geographic region as it was, or to a people group as it was in those days. But it will go beyond that, to cover the whole world. Everyone who has ever lived and whoever will live will stand in judgment before the throne of God. And sin carries serious consequences because it is a serious thing to rebel against the living God. And the ultimate sin we can commit is to blaspheme against his name and to reject what he tells us to do. And he tells us to repent and believe. 
God's intention has always been to bless the families of the earth, to bless the whole earth through Jesus Christ, his son. But if we reject his word, if we reject Jesus, then there is no other saviour and there is no other hope. If we choose to live life as we see fit apart from God, then he is just and righteous to leave us to do our own thing. But judgment will come. Because God will give victory. God will have the victory over his enemies. And the judge of all the earth will do what is right. Victory belongs to God. And he, in his glorious day of victory, will wash away, will drive away into the pit of destruction all wickedness and all godliness and all sin from his creation. He, when he makes it new. When he remakes it in the image of his son. Will you be amongst those who he drives away into the pits? Or will you be amongst those on the victory side? Who enter into his eternal rest? Jesus Christ has been given to be our guide in the way. The way that he has made. The way that he is. And he is the shelter under which you today can find refuge from the heat of the wilderness. Where you can find comfort from the sorrows and the troubles of today. He is the continuance of your health and your strength. The one who prolongs your days. And the one who, if you will listen today to his voice, calling you, awakening you to the reality of your sin and the cost that it will be for you in eternity. He is the one who calls you to awaken from sleep, that you might listen to his voice, that he might bring you unto the place which he has prepared. And so one question remains this morning. One question remains, and it really it's the only question that matters. In all of life, there is one question that matters. And this is it. Will you follow Jesus Christ? Will you follow Jesus Christ? Will you forsake all other saviours? Because they are no saviours at all. Will you forsake all other gods? Because they are no other gods at all. Will you listen to his voice? Will you come to him in repentance and faith? Will you follow Jesus Christ? I pray for you this morning that the answer to that question is yes, I will follow Jesus Christ. Yes, I want forgiveness in his name. Yes, I want to know the blessings of these promises. I want him to keep me until the end. I want to come to be brought into his kingdom. Into the glory of his new creation. Yes, I want to be on the victory side. I want to know. I want to follow. I want to listen to Jesus Christ. I pray and I hope that is your answer this morning. Because he will not forgive those who reject him. He will not forgive those who reject him. Do not provoke him. Do not wait. 
but follow him today and find forgiveness and rest for your soul in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our God, our King, we thank you for your glorious salvation in Jesus' name. We thank you for the Saviour whom we love. Lord, help us to love him more. Help us to grow stronger in that love and that faith for him. Lord, and if there are any here this morning who at this moment are on, on course for that pit of fire and judgments, Lord, make them turn around, make them hear your voice. Awaken them to the, to the danger that they're in. And save them by your mighty power. Bring us, Lord, in the end to glory. Bring us, Lord, to your new creation, just as you have promised, to the place that you have prepared. Give us the strength, the wisdom, the grace, and the ears to hear that we might follow. And that we might grow evermore in worship, praise, and thanksgiving to our Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.